Christmas gifts. All that driving, sizing, debating, searching, and returning. Why do we do it? Is it to get in the spirit of our Father who gave His most precious gift on the first Christmas? Did you know that God is still into gift giving? In Romans 12, verses 3 and following, we will discover with our study leader, Dave Woodson, that God chooses to give each of His children different gifts, and then seeks to help them use their gifts to play together for His glory. How many of you have been out shopping? You've been driving around fighting the traffic, and how many of you have been in Old Navy? How many of you have been in Kohl's? How many of you have been in J.C. Penney? Now, Mary and I found ourselves doing that on Thursday, and we were going from one story after another. Mary was on a hunt because we have seven grandkids. Five of them are girls, and Mary got four of the girls something. I'm not going to spoil the surprise, but Mary got four of them something, and she needed one more, and they didn't have one more. So she's coming home and says, man, I just can't find this pattern, can't find this color. And I'm, you know, the husband, I'm saying, who cares? Just get something different. But it's really important. How many of you have ever tried to make sure that all your kids, it's fair? Anybody have problems with fairness at Christmas? Well, the way that Mary and I saw fairness is we just get all the girls the same thing. And we get all the boys relatively the same thing. And that way we can keep it fair. So Mary was just filled with incredible joy when finally our hunt was in, finished and we, and we came out to the truck. I wasn't even, you know how it is? You think, I'm sure this is a match. You go out to the truck and you go, no, man, it's the wrong color. It's not even the right pattern. We matched it exactly. And so all five of my granddaughters can be all have this special gift and it all matches and it's going to be perfect for the picture that Mary takes. You know, our Heavenly Father doesn't choose... Our Heavenly Father doesn't choose the problem to deal with the problem of competition. And I got a better gift than you did by giving us all the same gift. What I want you to realize this morning is all of you know at Christmas time of the gift that was given at Bethlehem. And the reason that we were, Mary and I were out there shopping is because the idea of Christmas is that we get into the, the joy and the generosity of giving to others because we want to be reminded of the ultimate giver that's given so much to us in his son. And so that's what Christmas is about. So don't get down on giving. We need to be really careful as the body of Christ that we don't turn uh, Christmas into selfish squabbling over who got a better gift. And, and one of the things that was really neat is I got to ring the bell to the Salvation Army uh, last, uh, uh, last Saturday down at Walmart. And I even had some people come and said, boy, things are really hard at the, at the Bible church. I thought that was hilarious. I, and when Mary told my daughter, Janae, she just laughed for five minutes straight on the telephone. And, 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 and Mary, you know, Janae says, Dad, doesn't Dad realize that's what the homeless people do? And stuff like that. And, and Mary said, well, he's homeless. I threw him out of the house. No, not really. <laughs> but one of the neat things is to see many, many parents teaching their children. I can't tell you the number of parents that took change, took a dollar, gave it to a little three-year-old and said, now you be sure to put that in the bucket because we need to meet the needs of those that are needy. And the Salvation Army, one of the great ways to do that, and you see these little three-year-olds put it in and they'd have trouble putting the dollar bill in. That's a wonderful lesson 
to teach your children at Christmas. And it was wondrous to see how many people from all different races and all different backgrounds, a lot of people that didn't know, all of you that I didn't know, I noticed that you didn't give on the way in, but you felt really guilty because you saw me and you gave on the way out, okay? <laughs> what I want to tell you about today is that the idea of Christmas is that God not only gave his son, but he also gave each one of us a very special gift. It's like this week throughout the world, there are millions of millions of people that believed in Jesus. They came to know the message that we've been learning in the book of Romans. How do you stand right before God? Tell me. In the end, how can you be sure that you're going to stand right before God? Because you believe that Jesus, that's right, that he died and that he rose again, and you receive him. You depend upon him. That's how we know that we stand right before God in the end. What I want you to know that the moment that you receive Christ, you might not know the exact time. Some of our kids that have been growing up in our church, they can't nail down the exact time that they open their heart to Christ. Some of you that are older, you know exactly. You know, it was when I was 23, and it was on December 1st, and I was so-and-so and so-and-so. What's really important is that you did trust Jesus. And I want you to know that if you did trust Jesus, at that moment, God gave you a blend of gifts. I believe that God didn't just give you one gift, but I think that God made every single one of you unique. Because one of the things your Heavenly Father does is, unlike Mary and Dave who want to make it fair for their grandkids, God doesn't just give us all the same gift with the same pattern, with the same colors. In fact, there's not one of you in this room that's like me. Praise God. There's also not anyone else in this room that's like you. And I want every single one of you to know that when you were born into God's family, he uniquely blessed you by grace. And he gave you abilities that the Spirit of God wants to use to reach out into a lost world and to build up fellow believers. And at this Christmas season, one of my prayers would be that every single one of you would enter into the joy of using that gift. Now, to show you how this works, Mary and I wanted some of our dear friends give us gifts at Christmas. And here's one of them. It's one of these bags. These are the newfangled ones, you know, where you don't have to undo all this stuff. It's pretty easy. And Mary and I got this gift out, and here it is. What is it? Okay, this is a sofa-like. Now, this is one of those gifts, to be honest with you, when I opened up this gift, it was really for Mary, so I stole it. <clears throat> but, and you shouldn't do that, so don't take that from the message, all right? <clears throat> but when I looked at this, my first response as a man is, what is it? It's very heavy, very heavy. It's, it's probably kind of been hand-sewn, it's almost quilted, and it's kind of like a couch, now, you can look at this and say, you know, this is like Mary and I also go to white elephant parties. And this is one of the things that if I wasn't absolutely sure that my friend that gave me this and gave Mary this wasn't going to be there, I might take it to white elephant. <laughs> and some of you might feel that the gift that God gave to you is a white elephant gift and you're trying to give it away. Why don't you turn your Bible to Romans chapter 12? Because I want you to ask yourself, do you know the gift that the Lord has given you? Do you know that? 
God has wrapped up a package. You're the package, and God wants to use every one of you. I want to ask you, do you know how to use your gifts? Do you compare your gifts to others? Do you try to use your gifts that you don't have? We'll talk about that. Do you get angry and decide not to use your gifts? I believe that across the body of Christ in our area, that there's a lot of believers that are gifted. In fact, I know for sure, because I've lived here for 35 years, I have some friends that I know for sure they've really been gifted by the Holy Spirit. God gave them a really super Christmas gift, but they've decided not to use it. Some of them haven't used it in years and years. And, and because I love every one of you, I don't want any of you to do that because that'll mean you'll miss out on what life was supposed to be about. We studied last time we were together about the fact that you need to become a living sacrifice. And I told you that becoming a living sacrifice, it wasn't all of you deciding to go to the mission field. It wasn't deciding to join David Livingston and go out to the jungles of Africa and be found and say, Dr. Livingston, I presume. By the way, if the Lord does call you to be a missionary, that'll be a blast. It'll be the greatest thing that you could ever imagine. Nobody should go to the mission field because they feel like, oh, no, I'm sacrificing myself for Jesus. They don't want you there. If that's your attitude, please stay here and grump on us because it'll be much better. The idea, though, of presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, remember I taught you, is that our salvation in Romans always goes back to the cross. It always goes back to the resurrection. So what it means to be a living sacrifice is to live out the power of Christ's forgiving love his death in our place, to live out the power of his resurrection, to be growing in our faith in that. And what I want you to realize is the Apostle Paul, in the very next section, before he talks to us about the way that we relate individually, over the next several chapters, from chapter 12 through chapter 16, we're going to talk about some individual things that we need to do in our individual lives. But we're also going to find, unlike the way most of us think as Americans, it's absolutely important for you as you live a living sacrifice, the way that you do that is living with your family and not your physical family, but with this spiritual family. So the Apostle Paul, look at it in Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given me, Paul was gifted to be a prophet. And I'll talk to you about it. He was also gifted to be a, an apostle. And he was also a gifted teacher. And that's why he's going to be able to instruct us over the next several weeks as we study the book of Romans together and why he's been able to instruct us. In fact, he's a very special prophet and teacher. He was directly inspired by God like Moses, and he was one of the founding apostles, and he gave inspired scripture. So he was one of the real leaders and gifted individuals in the body of Christ. But I want you to see, he doesn't say, because Paul was born as a Jew with incredibly gifts, incredible intellectual gifts in theology, because he had an incredible gift with his tongue, because he was so naturally gifted, just like a blazing soccer player has tremendous speed and great agility with his feet, God blessed the Apostle Paul with an incredible gift. Look how great Paul is. It's not what he says. As Americans, you tend to think this person's gifted. That person isn't. We have classes for the gifted children. We have classes for the handicapped children, for the special needs children. In God's family, I want all of you to know that none of us can stand in the body of Christ and say, look at me, because it's all of grace. What I'm doing today is a total gift of grace, and grace means that I don't deserve it. Grace means I haven't earned it. 
This is one of the most important things that I can tell you. And, and, if, and if I, when I go home to be the Lord, I want you to talk about grace at my memorial service, if you have one. Because that's what the scripture is about. And none of you in your natural strength live by grace. In fact, in sports, you live by performance, not by grace. In academics, you go by intellect and ability to get grades, and you're rewarded for it, not by grace. In almost all of your life, you guys are programmed to perform and to earn. In business, you might think your boss loves you, but the reason that you do what your boss tells you to do is they sign your check. That's not grace. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of life, a justice, business, economic relationship. It's just not the body of Christ. And I want all of you to hear that. The Apostle Paul says it's the grace, the Spirit of God is going to come upon me as I write this letter to you. It's a total gift of grace. I used to murder Christians, Paul would say. So if I get what I deserve, I should be on eternal death row because I took the life of some of Jesus' precious kids. I could never be forgiven for that. But I have been because Jesus died for me. Paul would say that all of my training under Gamaliel didn't prepare me actually for this incredible, wondrous treasure that I found out that Jesus, the man that I hated so much, was actually God's gift. Paul never got over the amazing grace that saved him. And I don't want any one of you. If you don't ever get over grace, then you're going to function beautifully in the family of God. The Apostle Paul is saying, it's by the grace that was given to me. I say to every one of you. Did Paul say, I say to Dallas Seminary grads? How many of you see that in the text? Did God say, I say to people that were born in Christian families, that were raised with this stuff? I hear all the time, Dave, you know, I, I just don't think I can, I can live in the body of Christ the way that I need to be. Because look at my background. The Apostle Paul says, I say by the grace that was given to every one of you. Does it say to everyone in Midlothian Bible Church? I want you to see something else. That's not what he says. You know, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the Church of Rome, he didn't think, well, in Rome there's the First Baptist Church, and in Rome there's the Bible Church, and in Rome there's the Methodist Church, and in Rome there's the Presbyterian Church, and in Rome there's the Assembly of God Church, and in Rome there's the Oaks. He didn't think about that. That's the way all of us think about church. And as pastors, we think about that, a church like that. And I'm going to work on you. I'm going to work on myself. That's wrong. God doesn't look upon the church like that at all. He writes to all of you. This message is for every believer that's in Midlothian. This message is for every believer that's in the world. This is from God's inspired word. And God chose to take a letter that the apostle wrote to all the believers that were in Rome. And we don't even know for sure where they were meeting. We know probably they were meeting in homes. Some of the more wealthy people had bigger homes and all the church would gather. There's probably house churches all over Rome. We don't know for sure. In the church of Jerusalem, they met in homes daily from place to place. They also went to the portico of Solomon we, Jesus met in the upper room, which was kind of a larger room that he could meet in for the Last Supper. You see, the, the New Testament, the New Covenant, doesn't nail down for all of you that like everything in its spaces. I don't know how the early church met. I have to learn from archaeology, and I have to try to derive it. 
Because there's many different ways that you can meet, but I want you to know that it's very clear that the all of you includes all of you who are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ and you've been born into God's family. And, I, and so a lot of you are from all different church backgrounds. I want you to know that's great. That's okay. Because our unity is our trust in the finished work of Jesus. Our unity is our belief that Jesus has given us new life. And that's going to hold us together. And that's why the Apostle Paul is running to all of you. And then he says, watch out. I love Paul begins by an attack against our pride. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But rather think of yourself with a sober judgment in accordance with the measure of the faith that God has given you. The Apostle Paul underscores that that drunken pride is going to destroy the joy of the gifts. I use the idea of drunken pride because it will illustrate what pride does in your life. The Apostle Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. That's a danger that every one of us have. my, My roommate, for example, in high school, he thought he was really good looking. To be honest with you, he was ugly. He wasn't that good looking. But we were roommates. It was a boarding school. He's in a room with four guys. It used to drive me nuts. He'd go in front of the mirror, combing his hair. His hair was ugly. And he would say to us, you know, look how great I look. You know, wow, the girl's going to really be after me. We're going, the girls are actually saying, keep him away from us. He thought of himself more highly than he ought to think. And it made a you-know-what out of him. That's what happens to all of us. When we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, then we're not sober. Your pride, just like when you drink too much ethanol, your vision is blurred. Your perception of things is off. Pride blinds you and makes you act intemperately in the body of Christ. It'll restrict you from using your gift, or it will cause you to use your gift when you shouldn't use it. Here's the great Apostle Paul, and he starts out by telling us, it's all by grace, so I'm not uptight about the position I have or where I'm speaking or where I'm teaching. It's all given by grace, and I need to be careful not to think of myself more highly than I ought to think. But I do want you to know that you do need to think of yourself, and what you need to think of yourself is how has the Lord gifted you? What are your abilities that have been given by the Holy Spirit? Not just your natural abilities, but how has the Lord, how has he welded you together? And now that you've been born into God's family, who are you as you serve the body of Christ? And thinking highly of yourself, more importantly than you ought to think, is when you don't use your gift. You say, I'm not going to do that because I'm hurt, or something like that, then you're thinking yourself more highly because you're not regarding, honestly, the gift that you do have. I can illustrate what I'm talking about. Like, I can think of myself more highly than I ought to think. In my family, I'm a daddy. I'm gifted by the Lord to be a daddy. I can't tell Jonathan, I'm sorry. You called me on the phone on Saturday. I'm too busy to be your dad. I know you're excited about where you might get a teaching job, but I don't have time right now. I got a lot of other things I need to do. I'm not going to be your dad. That's pride. That's arrogance. Jonathan would be deeply hurt if I said that. So when he calls me, I have to think about him. And I'll always be his daddy. I'm a leader to him. I'm a spiritual leader to him. I've been his first pastor. I can't jettison that. So I can't say, well, you know, Jonathan, you haven't called me in about four weeks, and I'm hurt, so I'm not going to 
I'm just going to hang up. How many of you have parents like that? Some of you do. Because they never let you grow up. And they always want to control you. And when you don't let them control you, then they get mad. And then they play. It's like little kids on the playground. That's arrogance. That's what it is. And I want all of you to learn not to do that. To cry out to God's grace. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Pride does horrible things in the body of Christ. And it's not an understanding of grace. So the Apostle Paul says, watch out. Don't let drunken pride destroy your joy of giving. I also want you to know in verses 4 and 5, I want you to look for this. Remember I told you Mary and I got all the same what for our granddaughters. We got them all the same. I didn't tell you what it was because Mary would kill me. But they all got the same gift. Your Heavenly Father doesn't do that. Why did Mary and I get all the same gift? Tell me. So that the girls won't fight. You know why? Because you all get along pretty easily when everybody's the same. In other words, if all you that are artists get together, you get along pretty good. If all of you that are math majors get together, you get along pretty good. All of you that are athletes. In your society, almost every group that you become a part of, it's built on sameness. You're the same relative personalities. You have the same relative interests. And what I want you to know about life is sameness produce deadness. There's no life. Gay couples are the same. They just don't produce any kids. It's David that is a mouth from the East Coast that likes to be with lots of people and have big parties that's united with a quiet girl from Nebraska that's totally different from him in her personality. And we generate Jonathan, Joel's, Joshua's, and Janae's. We create life. And that's what the Lord wants to happen in the body of Christ. Every one of you, I want you to think hard about this. You can listen to the radio in marriage. Find somebody compatible with you. Take a personality test so you match. And the idea is if you match, great, that'll be great. You won't have any trouble. You'll also be boring as anything. So all of you that can't keep the books, you're totally compatible. You can't keep the books. None of you can do math. You'll be happy in debtor's prison. That's great. What produces real health is an idiot that can't do anything in math that marries a woman that's a brilliant accountant. And the husband doesn't relinquish his leadership. He lets his wife do the math, doesn't leave her out there and get mad at her when she blows it, but he works as a team, as a leader that enables her to use her gift, and he blesses her for a lifetime for her good math skills. And when they're retired and they have enough money in retirement, he hugs her and praises her because they worked as a team to do things right. I'm illustrating a marriage, but that's the way the body of Christ is. Every one of you in this room is different. When I walk into a room and it's church, I'm thinking about, is it from the text? Does that Greek word mean this? Mary's thinking, why is it so dark in here? <laughs> totally different. And what I want you to learn is I laugh. You, all, you often laugh because you, well, you all know Mary and I are a lot different. But I want you to know that every one of you is different. Every single one of you is different. Every single one of you is totally unique. And one of the things I want you to get is the Apostle Paul says, that is okay. That's the brilliance of God's creative energy. Because it says here, 
He says in Romans chapter 12, he says, look what Paul says. Just as each of us is one body and we are many members and these members do not all have the same function. We're all different parts of the body. We're hands, we're feet, we're legs, we're all the different parts of the body. Eyes, mouths, all the different parts of the body. They don't all have the same function. So awesome in Christ, we who are many are one body. And look what it says. Each of us are members belonging to one another. We have different gifts according to the grace that God has given to us. This is one of the hardest things for the body of Christ to understand. We're in a culture now where the whole idea is that you market to set groups, that you get groups together and build it on their common interests. And what I want you to understand is that 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 works in marketing, but it's not the body of Christ. The body of Christ is every one of you as an individual, realizing I'm different from everybody else in this room. But I'm here because I'm joined with Christ. Amen? Like the thing I want to get across to you, anywhere you go in the world, if you meet someone that trusts in the cross of Christ and in his resurrection, I want you to say, my brother, my sister. And you're going to find, if you do go overseas, that believers overseas have this down much better than we do. For example, like when I go to Recife up in northern Brazil, and I walk into a church, I'm their honored, long-lost brother. That's true. They, well, they bring me to the front, they, and they'll introduce me to everyone. They say, this is Brother Dave. This is Sister Mary. They're our fellow believers from the United States. When I was in Poland, I hadn't met, I had, the guy that met me at the airport, Maui, I didn't even know Maui. He showed up late. When he saw me across the airport, he said, you must be Dave. I said, yeah, you must be, I don't know who. And he comes running over and he hugged me and said, my brother, welcome to Poland. Let's not lose that. Let's not lose that. The Apostle Paul is saying, and this is one of the things I want you to realize, you're all different. Everybody in this room, we all have different gifts. And one of the things the Apostle Paul is trying to release us is to realize the incredible joy of being different and yet working together. In an orchestra, that's what makes beautiful music. You have a tuba player, and the tuba player is four foot eleven and weighs 90 pounds. How many of you have ever seen a tuba player that's four foot eleven and weighs 90 pounds? Now you might, if she lifts iron hundreds, but what are tuba players usually like? They're bigger guys, like like in our own church, we've got a marvelous tuba player. And he's a tall guy, and he's skinny enough to get in the tuba. And then you have a piccolo player. Have you ever noticed the difference between a piccolo and a tuba? Who would ever guess that you'd have a big tuba horn playing with a piccolo? And then on the other side, you've got these people that are sawing. They're doing this violin thing. How different that is from a piccolo. But you know one of the greatest gifts of Western culture, it arose within the Western culture, is a symphonic orchestra. You know why symphonic orchestras are great? Not because everybody plays the piccolo. But it's because everybody plays their own instrument. 
And what makes a really great orchestra is when you got a genius on the first violin that plays the score that the, the composer wrote, and he follows or she follows the lead of the conductor, but they put into it all their personal uniqueness. That's the difference between a, just a road player and a great player. In the body of Christ, I want every one of you to know that you've been gifted to play in God's orchestra. The analogy of the Apostle Paul has been used, you are part of the body. This idea is, number one, we've got to be careful of pride. Number two, we need to really think hard about diversity in the midst of unity. We're united in Christ, but we're willing to recognize each other's differences. Now the Apostle Paul spells this out. What are some of the gifts in the body of Christ? I want you to look at what he says. And I want you to know that he does this in 1 Corinthians 12. Peter does it in 1 Peter chapter 4. And I want you to know that everywhere in the Bible, there's a different list. Now, I like that. But if, like, my buddies in chemistry, some of my buddies in chemistry, they, they love, how many, in math, for example, how many of you like parentheses? What do you put in parentheses in math? You put all the things that go together. In the parentheses. And so what we want, there's some of you in this room, what you want is you want the Bible to say, here's the list of 22 gifts. And then let's figure out what every one of those gifts is. And then we can give tests to the whole body of Christ. Nothing wrong with that. And we'll figure out what their gift is. There's only one problem with that. Is the gifts flow one into another. And sometimes you're going to need a gift they don't ordinarily have, but the Holy Spirit puts you in a situation that you're going to need to use it. And so you're going to have to cry out to him. You might be a really quiet person, but you're, there's a tribe that you're suddenly on an airplane, and the person sitting next to you speaks Swahili, and the plane is going down, and you need the gift of tongues. And you better cry out to God just some way to help you to get the gospel across. And the Holy Spirit that I'm going to talk about, I believe, can do that. I want you to know that every one of you in this room, I want you to know it's not your natural ability. The moment that you came to know Jesus, a miracle took place in your life. How many of you have ever heard of charismatic believers? Now, when I mention charismatic, you know what you all think? Assembly of God, people that raise their hands, and people that roll around the floor. And a lot of you are scared to death of that. Some of you, it'd be really good if you lost it a little bit like that in the power of the Spirit because you're so stuffy. And some of you just have a social thing. From the time you've been little kids, worship was sedate, was quiet. And so you're scared to death. It's like dancing. Some of you can't dance because you're like me. From the time you were a little kid, you were told that was from the pit of hell. So you never release. You know, you're like this. The Apostle Paul, I want you to know something. The Apostle Paul only wrote letters to charismatic churches. The Apostle Paul only wrote letters to charismatic churches. You know what charismatic really means? It means that the Holy Spirit came into your life. And it means you've received a a charisma. You know what? Charis means grace, and ma just means it's a substantial substance, a thing that happens inside of you that actually produces concrete actions in your life. It's not the fact that you speak in tongues. It doesn't make you charismatic. It's not the fact that you can do mighty miracles. Helping somebody in the hospital needs charisma. 
If it's not anointed by the Spirit, the person will get sicker and you'll irk them to death. It needs charisma. I want you to think really hard about this. When the Spirit's not flowing too readily in a church, they have to work really hard to figure out what the spiritual gifts are. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church of Rome, he says, now here's some of the gifts. He says, first of all, we have different gifts according to the grace that was given to us. And if a man's gift is prophesying, let him prophesy in proportion to his faith. When Paul wrote the Roman church, they had, it wasn't any big deal. Sure, we know what the gift of prophecy is. You know what it was? As they were sitting in their groups, the Holy Spirit would come upon someone and give them real insight into the meaning of Christ's death, into the meaning of Christ's resurrection. In the fact, for example, like one of the great revelations is you don't have to be Jewish anymore. You don't have to be circumcised. That was a new revelation that God was going to form a new body. The, the inspired apostles received that. And when they gave it to the church, it built the church up. It comforted the church. In 1 Corinthians 14, the apostle Paul in the, in the Corinthian church, the gift of tongues was exercised. And, and in, in the gift of tongues, the person himself, often in the first century church where there's no debate whether or not they did it or not, they did do it. But the person that spoke in tongues didn't understand that what they were saying unless someone had a gift from the Spirit to interpret. So the Apostle Paul said, if the Spirit comes upon someone and they speak in tongues, then only one or two or maybe three should do it. And if there's no interpreter, then they shouldn't do it. Like if no one receives the gift from the Holy Spirit to understand what the person just said in another language, or if it's a heavenly language, whatever it is, why did the Apostle Paul say that? Because when we gather together this morning, we're not supposed to have someone stand up and be marvelously blessed by God because they're praising God in Swahili, and none of us know what they said. Why? Because that would isolate that person. It would isolate you. Because that's not what the body of Christ is. Worship isn't when you come here and you shut your eyes and put your hands up in the air and you enter into ecstasy with God. That's not what we gather together to do. You can do that at home. I do much better being alone when I am alone. You know what I'm supposed to do this morning? Talk to you. Be with you. And that's hard at times. The real charisma of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul spoke in tongues more than anybody. And he said, I'd rather just say two or three words to build you up which is what he's doing this morning. The Apostle Paul spoke a lot more than three words. Isn't it marvelous? How many of you have felt the Holy Spirit through the Apostle's words 2,000 years later building you up this morning? Isn't that incredible? That is a miracle. And that's what the gift of prophecy is. A prophet, a prophet in the New Testament sometimes predicted there's going to be a famine. That had to be subjected. Like, if you're going to make a prediction like that, then we're going to subject you to others that are spiritually minded. And if you blow it, we're going to have words with you. If you're a prophet, it means you're, you have strong exhortation because you really, you have a, a, a power. It's, a, it's different than the next gift, which is, which is there's a gift of serving. And I want you to see how Paul goes from this very revelatory, inspired gift and it very much relating to the gift of teaching. In the New Testament, a teacher took the Old Testament and applied Jesus' work to the Old Testament scripture. 
The prophet was receiving the new revelations from the Spirit, and then the teachers would make sure that what the prophet shared was in line with the Old Testament Scripture and was in line with the apostolic body of truth that was being heralded in all the churches. That was the difference. But I want you to see that Paul changes gears right away, and he says that all of you that have the gift of serving, let them serve. The Apostle Paul jumps from let him who has the gift of prophecy, let him do it in proportion of his faith. And I would hold that that means based upon the faith that the Lord gave him of the death and resurrection of Christ. It's not that one receives a lot of faith and somebody doesn't receive some. It's always in line with the gospel of Christ. He says, let him who serves, let him serve. Some of you are not mouths. In fact, Peter divides all the spiritual gifts, gifts of mouths, gifts of hands and feet. Some of you are not fluid communicators. You don't communicate well with your mouth. But you really get exercised about using your hands. That's true in your family. And what I want you to know is the gift of serving is something that all of you can have. How many of you think, I can stack seven chairs at the end of a service? How many can do that? If you have a bad back, please don't raise your hand. Okay, how many of you think that you are endowed by the Spirit to grab a pusher and take stacks of seven and put it away. How many of you, when you come to church, that think like you come in the door and it feels like, you know what some of you do? Some of you say, well, I can't believe that. Boy, that NBC is really unorganized. You know why it's unorganized? Because we have a ton of mouths and not a lot of administrators. We have a lot of people that like to talk and they're gifted to talk. But that tends to repel people that like to get things done. And rather than all the people that talk being in one place and all the people that do things in another place, the Lord wants to weld that together. So I often put up chairs. And I often have someone come and say, you know, you shouldn't have to do that. In some ways, no, I shouldn't. But I want you to know in the body of Christ, like Mary doesn't care less in my home whether or not I have a doctorate degree from Dallas Seminary. I've never yet heard her say, Dave, please don't take out the garbage. You have a, a doctorate degree. So, brothers and sisters, it's time to ring bells. These gifts, prophecy, teaching our mouth gifts, this gift of serving is a big general gift. It just means that you're a servant. It means when you go to a care group meeting in a home that you don't just leave because you need to get back and watch your favorite TV program. Diakonos' servants... Say, can I help you with the dishes? Can I help clean the place up? You do that in your home. You teach your little kids to do that. You teach your little kids to ring the bell. To be honest with you, ringing the bell, it's humbling. It's just a joke. But when someone comes up and says, are you homeless? You know what? It's okay in the body of Christ to be homeless if you're really homeless because you're homeless. And you're just as much welcome here. In the body of Christ, the Lord is calling all of us at Christmas time just to ring the bell. What I want you to capture a vision of this morning is that you might feel like I'm just a useless thing that should be given away at a white elephant. Well, this was used because it's heavy. There's a brick in here to keep my grandkids from opening and closing the door so they didn't kill themselves. It was used for that. I use a ton of books. If you've ever been in my study, I have my books all over the place, and they always fall on the floor. 
So now, this is in an honored place. It holds the book on Romans from falling on the floor so that I'd like take them off and get ready to teach you the book of Romans. I got a brick, but it's nicely coated because it would look really ugly just to have a brick. So this elephant gift that isn't an elephant gift, it's an expression of love with some, from some very dear friends, has an honored place in my study. Well, I haven't figured out how to use some of you yet, and I'm not going to. But God's Holy Spirit, as you start to be a child of God and his family, as you start to get exercised about things and do things, and every one of you uses the gift that the Lord starts to lay on your heart, people will start to say to you, how do you have such a knack to know what to say to somebody or when not to speak when you're with someone that's sick? You have the gift of mercy, visiting the sick. How did you get that insight into the Word of God? Where did that come from? You say, well, it's a, a voice that kind of was in me that, that shows me what the text means and helps me be excited about wanting to share it. As a several believers in the body of Christ tell you, that's the way the gift of teaching will be exposed. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you that we would realize that the Spirit brings great freedom. He brings great humility. He produces great joy. So I just ask you, Lord, that your Spirit would raise up the gifts of leadership, the gifts of management. I pray that you raise up the gifts of exhortation the gifts of encouraging counsel. And Lord, I just would pray that you would help us to be able to have the joy at this Christmas season of not only realizing that you gave us the gift of your son 2,000 years ago, but the wondrous immediacy that the Holy Spirit that gave birth to Jesus inside of Mary's womb has given birth to a unique, special spiritual life inside of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.